Happy Easter to one and all. I'm so glad that you are here with us, especially welcome those who may be visitors, either because of the baptism you're here or you, you know, decided to look for a church to pop in for Easter Sunday. You're most welcome. And as I was telling the congregation that came earlier, we have a traditional Anglican greeting through the season of Easter. I will say, Alleluia, Christ is risen. Alleluia. And we use this uh, greeting through the season of Easter, which lasts all the way until the Ascension, uh, uh, 40 days from now. But it's a time in which we celebrate the risen Lord. You know, this is the culmination of uh, Lent and Holy Week, which we just passed through this past week. And um, my sermon today is looking at the passage in the Gospels. And I've entitled it, Seeing and Believing. You all know the saying, right? I'll believe it when I see it. All right? They, they say things like that, like tonight, you know, is Liverpool going to beat Arsenal? I believe it when I see it. <laughs> They've been doing so badly this season. <laughs> and uh, um, I say to someone, oh, I'm going to slim down to that suit I've kept for years. They'll say to me, I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> or you may say, oh, I'll finish all my chores tonight. And your mother says to you, I'll believe it when I see it. And that's our normal way of thinking, isn't it? That seeing is believing. But actually, you know, in reality, we are much better at believing than seeing. In fact, sometimes uh, what we are seeing is what we believe. And, and in, in many ways, we interpret what we see through what we believe. And so I want us to look at this uh, passage in Scripture and to consider what the resurrection means and, and, and the implication of the resurrection for those of us who are Christians and even for those who are not. Let's start, uh, or really the, where I drew this theme is from verse 8, when the other disciple, you know, John, when he speaks about himself, he doesn't want to name himself, I guess out of modesty, he calls himself the other disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved. It says, when he reached, the, he is the one who reached the tomb first. Also, when he, he, he also he went in after Peter had done so, and he saw and believed. But let's go back to the start of the passage and uh, look at it. In verse 1, it says, Now on the first day of the week, which is today, Sunday, is the first day of the week. In the Jewish calendar, Saturday is the seventh day, the Sabbath, the day in which they set aside uh, uh, um, God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and on the seventh he rested. You know, it's significant that Jesus rose on the Sabbath day, the third day he rose again, because it signifies new creation, right? The old creation has passed, the new creation has come. But Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. It was customary for them in, in Jewish thought that the first three days, the soul still remained with the body. And so you want to mourn, you want to say goodbye, you come within the first three days. And that was the thinking, and that's why she was appearing uh, other gospel accounts actually tell us that there were other women with her. She wasn't there alone. But John chooses to focus on Mary's perspective, Mary Magdalene's perspective. And when she got there, she saw that the stone had been taken away. Peter Marshall, who was once the chaplain uh, to the U.S. Congress, he said, you know, the stone was rolled away from the door, not so that Jesus could get out, but so the disciples could go in. 
right? Because we see all the resurrection accounts, Jesus could appear through closed doors, right? It wasn't necessary for him to get out of the tomb, but it was necessary for the disciples to go in because he wanted to establish in their minds that this is a historical fact, that it is a reality that is observable and by which they can, uh, uh, um, you know, hang their faith in that sense. Now, Mary's reaction, of course, is that someone has taken the body. I mean, how do you understand someone ra- being raised from the dead in a, a, a supernatural, uh, spontaneous sort of way, despite the fact that Jesus talked about it time and time again? They still hadn't quite understood it, despite the fact that prophecy uh, through Scripture had talked about it. They still hadn't come to that fact. And that's the context in which we see, ultimately, in the empty tomb, the disciples raced out to see. She went back to tell them, and obviously it was Peter and John who were the ones who responded quickest. And uh, it says that John, the other disciple, went in and he went in and he saw and believed. You know, why did he see and believe? I believe it's because if you look in verses 6 and 7, there's a clue there. It says, Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Some of you have been attending church this last few weeks and you were here when we uh, looked at the passage on Lazarus being raised from the dead from John chapter 11. If you haven't, uh, you weren't here, you can go ahead and uh, read the passage for yourself. But in that passage, when Lazarus was called forth from the grave, you know, Jesus had to give the instruction, unwrap him from the grave cloth, right? Take it all off because, you know, they usually wrap them quite tightly. And in Jesus' case, not only was he wrapped in these uh, grave clothes, he also had 75 pounds of spices, uh, which are used to sort of preserve the, the body to some extent. That's the nature of their embalming in that day and age. And I believe, and most scholars believe, what happened was it looked like the body had just transposed out of its grave clothes. Therefore, it was lying there in the shape of what would have been a body wrapped up. And that's why I think John saw and he believed. But look, in verse 9, uh, John clarifies, For as yet they, meaning himself and Peter, did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. You know, they were still puzzling over this, even though he believed that Jesus had resurrected. He still couldn't come to terms with what it all meant, despite the witness of Scripture. And in that sense, you know, this is the call for all of us as Christians to walk by faith and not by sight, is what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians. But notice, why is this a historical fact? Why do we cling to it? Because when Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't rise from the dead in uh, an unforgotten corner of the universe. You know, it was very much a a case in which there were eyewitness accounts. We can think, of course, of Mary, first and foremost, who had witnessed it, even though she didn't quite understand why the tomb was empty. We see Peter and John, of course, who had uh, uh, recognized it. But then later on in the passage, which wasn't read, what follows after the uh, verses which we read, He appeared before the disciples in verse 19. It says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, that means that same Sunday evening, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, 
They were afraid, right? It, no, disciples are not uh, higher or better than the master. If they persecute the master, they're going to persecute you. So it was a natural human uh, uh, concern and an anxiety that gripped them. They were hiding away. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So the rest of the disciples, the other uh, um, nine, <laughs> because uh, Judas had already hung himself, so there are only 11 left. Two had seen. Uh, actually, it's not nine, it's uh, eight. Because we see later on, and I'm not going to read it, Thomas had missed out on this. And Thomas saw Jesus later. But, you know, it's not just the immediate disciples that saw Jesus. Paul, writing years later, talking about the account of the resurrection, says this in 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according, in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas. Cephas is Peter. That's his, uh, uh, the Greek name for, for rock. And then to the twelve. And he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Brethren, actually. Not just male, but you know, all the brothers and sisters in Christ. Most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. I.e., at the time that Paul was writing, which is probably around 80, 60-something, right? Uh, uh, maybe 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus. He's saying, there are still eyewitnesses who are amongst us, who saw Jesus alive. And then he appeared to James, who is a, a, a brother of Jesus and became the, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Then to all the apostles, and last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And Paul was not amongst the initial, but you remember the story in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9, when Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. That G Paul himself also saw the risen Lord. You stop and you think about it. What other explanation is there for this ragtag band of people who were a bunch of misfits by all accounts coming from Galilee who had been huddled in an upper room, who were scared for their lives? You look and you read the book of Acts as it unfolds. You know, they challenged the authorities who had crucified Jesus within weeks of the event. You know, saying, you crucified the Son of God, you know, and accused them of uh, uh, putting God to death, in, as it were, and did it with such a passion and, and courage and not fearing for their lives unto death, even being imprisoned and, and, and persecuted for their faiths. You know, how else can you explain the transformation into a people who at one stage denied Christ even before a slave girl? And yet, standing up as a firm witness to Jesus Christ, you realize that historically we are told every single one of those disciples died a martyr's death. If it were a lie, would they have given up their lives for it? And certainly that would not have happened except for the fact that they encountered the risen Lord. So it is a historical reality. But the resurrection is also a very personal encounter. We see in this passage that we are looking at, oh, this is Acts 10, 
uh, Peter speaking later talks about the fact that you know uh, the disciples were uh, called to be witnesses. But let me move back on to uh, John chapter 20, verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And the account tells us she saw two angels there. And at that point, you know, I don't know what her state of mind is, but you know when we are in uh, um, the grip of grief, we're not always necessarily in our right minds. And she certainly wasn't all that surprised by the appearance of the angels, which is uh, quite unlike any other uh, encounter with angels. But, you know, she asked the uh, uh, angel and told the angels, you know, I'm crying because they've taken my Lord away. In her mind, there were grave robbers at work. Whether they were people who were, you know, trying to be up to no good or mischief or with the authorities who were possibly wanting to prevent the body from uh, rising from the dead or the disciples from stealing the body uh, to then claim that he rose from the dead. Whatever the case may be, that was still her mindset. And the account carries on that she's standing there and she turned around, she saw Jesus, except she didn't know it was Jesus. Now, this is an interesting aside. And um, time and time again, even in his appearances to, to the disciples, he had to assure them that this is who he was. You know, if you read uh, 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul deals with the resurrection, there's a passage in there where it talks about the resurrection body. And I believe what we see here is uh, Jesus in his resurrection appearance, that he was so different from who he was uh, uh, as he walked the earth as a human being. He's still human, very human, but he appears in the resurrection body. And in some sense, you know, I take heart in that. You know, if those of you who have body image issues, praise the Lord, in your resurrection body, you won't be recognized anymore. And the Lord, you know, you look glorious uh, compared to who you are here and now. Um, but nonetheless, we see in the passage, it continues. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And we see this encounter. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni which was the term she used, you know, and had been using for him. Most of the disciples had used for Jesus at that point of time. Her eyes were open, you know, and it reminds me and really points back to what Jesus himself said earlier in John chapter 10, that the sheep listen to the good shepherd's voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Just calling her name brought recognition to Mary. She knew that this was her Lord and her God. So the encounter with the resurrected Christ is a very personal experience. Uh, as we see in the encounter that Mary had. And I believe it's meant to be true for all of us. But not only is it historical, not only is it personal, it's also universal. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. That, you know, Jesus' death and resurrection opens the way 
to the Father so that He is no longer just Jesus' Father. He is our Father. That's the basis on which we pray that family prayer. That, you know, what Christ did on the cross has opened the way for the entire world. It's a message that's not meant to be kept to ourselves. Even if we have that personal encounter, it's not meant to be just for ourselves. But it is something that we are called to share with the world. And Mary then went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. You know, other accounts in the Gospels, Luke's Gospel, Jesus says to the disciples when he meets with them, it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. He carried on in his second half of his account, Luke, the the gospel writer, in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, he said, you know, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The idea is that this message is not meant to be kept to ourselves, but to be shared widely and broadly. I conclude, and I purposely keep it short because we have a long service and, you know, we want uh, to honour your time that you spend with us. You know, in verse 29, which uh, is further on down in chapter 20 of John's Gospel, Jesus, in speaking to Thomas, who had come and he had witnessed Jesus for himself and, you know, he fell at the feet of Jesus and said, My Lord and my God, Jesus replied to Thomas saying this, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Those of us who gather here today for this uh, Easter service, I hope that you have come because you believe in a God who raises the dead. But I know there are some here who maybe are still not yet Christian, and I, I fully understand that some of your skepticism remains, that an empty tomb is not quite enough for you. I you know, think the, the, the way to think about it is to look at what God has done through the ages and through Christianity. And I know there's a lot of bad there, but actually there's a whole lot of good also that has happened through people whose lives have been turned around by this truth. C.S. Lewis said it this way, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. That The truth of the resurrection and of Christianity helps us to interpret the world and to understand that this is not all there is. That the, the, the struggles we face in life, the, the realities that we have, are not all there is. That we worship a God who specializes in raising the dead. I said that, you know, a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Lazarus. And I, I reiterate, you know, God continues to do it again today. He still raises the dead. Not just in terms of Lazarus. Uh, some of you know that the other portfolio I hold within the diocese is as the dean of Vietnam. Uh, our diocese has a mission work in six other countries which fall under the um, 
uh, jurisdiction of our Diocese of Singapore. Partly it's a quirk of colonial history. Uh, but um, as the Dean of Vietnam, I, met reg I meet regularly with the other deans of the other uh, deanery countries. And I remember one of these meetings, um, the then Dean of Viet uh, Nepal was uh, Canon Louis Liu. He's uh, now hand had to hand that over, and he's now the vicar of the cathedral. But he was sharing a story because we often share praise reports and prayer uh, items. And he shared this amazing story. He told about he had just come back from Nepal. And it was his final trip to Nepal because actually on that trip, the government warned him he's going to become persona non grata because they suspect he was there doing Christian mission work. So that's part of the reason why he had hand over his portfolio. But nonetheless, uh, one of the things that he did was minister to one of the church members, an elderly lady who was not doing well uh, health-wise and had prayed with her, met with the family and then had to head for the airport. Once he got to the airport, he got a phone call from the pastor who was the, the leading the church which she was a member of and said, Pastor, auntie has died. You know, and uh, so with sad you know, grief and uh, heaviness in his heart, he gave the pastor instructions what to do, how to prepare uh, for um, a burial and, and to minister to the family. And his last instruction to him is, pray for the deceased uh, family the family of the deceased, you know, and uh, minister to them. And he said, I have to go now because they're calling my flight and I have to board. And so he boarded the flight. Of course, he puts it into flight mode and then had no communication. I think it's a five, six-hour flight from Kathmandu to Singapore. He landed, turned his phone on, and he got a message from the pastor, please call me. So he, you know, cleared customs, got out, picked up his phone and he called the pastor and said, uh, what's, uh, is there anything else you need help with? He said, Pastor, auntie woke up. <laughs> and he asked, what happened? He said, you told me to pray for the deceased. Actually, he said, no, pray for the deceased family. <laughs> but in his simple faith, the pastor prayed for the lady who had passed away. And she rose from the dead. You know, and it's, it was a testimony to us. It's like, whoa, you know, God still raises the dead. And it was a wonderful uh, um, story of how our God continues to do it today. But you know, of course, there's a big difference between Auntie and Lazarus who was raised from the dead. I, I, I kind of think of it, in a sense, as a resuscitation more than a resurrection in the strict sense of the word. Because we know that Lazarus eventually died. I, I told you when we were doing that uh, story how archaeologists have found ossuaries, little um, bone boxes with the names Lazarus, Mary and Martha, not far from Bethany. Of course, we don't know if it was actually them because it was a fairly common name. But nonetheless, it's not hard to imagine. He definitely, if he had lived forever, we would have heard about it by now. You know, and uh, um, certainly this uh, auntie, I, I don't know because this is pre-COVID, so I'm not even sure. Uh, she's still alive at this point of time. But at some point, she will still pass on. But Jesus in his resurrection, with his resurrection body, he still lives. And because he lives, we too can live. And I want us to close with this thought. The God whom we worship is a God who specializes in making big things live again. And all of us, I think, look forward to the resurrection. Especially those of us who may have lost loved ones, 
who died in the faith. Yesterday, uh, our family celebrated my father's uh, first anniversary of his homegoing. You know, and I know in, in my heart of hearts, I can't wait for the resurrection to see him again in his resurrection body, no longer wrecked by the, the um, disease of Parkinson's. But beyond that, I believe when Jesus revealed himself uh, to Martha as the resurrection and the life, it is not just something for the future. It's also something for the here and now. And you know, many of us have things in our lives that are dead. It could well be a relationship or relationships that have died because they have become so damaged through the years, through events that have happened, through words that have been spoken, through actions that cannot be reversed. Some of us may be facing a dead-end career where you have placed all your hope and your ambitions. You realize as you look (laughs) and you know the reality, this is it. It's not going where you hoped it would go. And, and that's often the case, you know, with so many of us who face a midlife crisis. That's what often precipitates it. Or you may be literally facing the end because you have received a diagnosis. That reality tells you you may not make it, no matter what treatment regime you undergo. The God that we worship is a God who is able to raise the dead to life. And that He's a God that offers us a living hope. You know, for those of you who still are skeptical about everything I've said, the best uh, offer I can make to you is this. Why don't you taste and see? that the Lord is good. Examine for yourselves. What do you have to lose? (laughs) Cry out to Him. Draw near to Him, and He will draw near to you. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. God, our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank You that on this Resurrection Sunday, We are reminded of your great love for us that was demonstrated on the cross when Jesus died for our sins. But more than that, Lord, the resurrection tells us that we are justified, that the verdict that was pronounced when he rose from the grave over each and every one of us who have received him is not guilty that he paid the price that we rightly should have paid ourselves. And Lord, as you have raised us to new life, I pray that as we go out from here, we would not only live that new life, but also share about that new life with those around us. Help us to be bold witnesses. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, to speak forth that which you have done in our hearts and in our lives, to be witnesses of what we have experienced, the goodness of God, 
that we may bring it to a world that it's in desperate need of it. Thank you, Lord. Ask and we pray all these things in your son's most precious name. And all God's people say, amen.